0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are The notable moves made so far, and the teams that made the best moves in the first week of NBA Free Agency. Plus, the NBA superstars who will benefit the best from their massive new contracts and the next steps for Baker Mayfield after finally being traded from the Browns. It's episode 79 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. gentlemen boys and girls we are back coming to you on thursday july 7th 2022 for the 79th episode of let me speak thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you were getting this podcast i hope everyone had a very safe and happy 4th of july i know the weather around here was pretty good all weekend so a lot of people got to the beach um, or took some you know had a barbecue or whatever me No, nothing to uh, really celebrate. Just another standard week over at uh, WEEI tackling those overnight shifts. Um, But obviously everyone had a holiday weekend and while it was a holiday weekend, the news doesn't stop, especially in the sports world. And we're just going to get right into it. No dilly-dallying as uh, last week's episode was right at the beginning of free agency. So there was no news. We talked a little bit about uh, the Durant trade that had just come up um, as we were recording. So now we can dive into actual free agency and the moves that have reportedly gone down. You know, no one can really sign anything until I think like this weekend or something like that. And plus um, there are probably more moves to be made as there are still a bunch of names out there on the free agency market. So, uh, let's just get right into it. And I think we got to go right back to that headliner that I just briefly mentioned was Kevin Durant requesting that trade from the Brooklyn nets. And it's been about a week and obviously we're not expecting a move to come right off the bat, you know, for a player like Kevin Durant, because let's be honest, there hasn't been a player who wanted to trade or has been on the trade market like Kevin Durant with, uh, no disrespect to anyone else who's been out there for recent trades, like a Russell Westbrook or a Rudy Gobert or anything like that. But someone the caliber of uh, Kevin Durant has never uh, been on the trade market before, you know, LeBron never asked for a trade. Michael never asked for a trade, Larry Bird, none of them, you know, this is the biggest star to be out there on the trade market. So it makes sense why what the nets are looking for you know the the reports are saying that they want a i guess bona fide star i forget exactly what the uh phrasing that they used on it but they wanted a star a couple of players and a giant overhaul of picks and it makes sense because this is a brooklyn team that is only a few years removed from the rebuilding phase. If you remember, they just had to go through a four year rebuild because they wasted all their assets, uh, trying to get Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, uh, in that trade with the Celtics. So it makes sense why they don't want to take that kind of step back. They're saying like, Hey, we're in contendership, you know, let's stay this way. We don't want to go into another rebuild because let's be honest, they've gone. Um, I'm just trying to do it really quick off the top of my head. I think, uh, They've only been to the playoffs in the last 10 years probably two or three times, uh, something like that, maybe four times if we're, we're being dead honest. So I I get why Brooklyn wouldn't want to um, go into some sort of a rebuild and just say, yeah, we'll just get uh, some players and some picks. You know, they want to stay where they are because right now their roster is pretty I, – I wouldn't say – I think it's well-constructed. It's probably not like a title team, but I mean, you've got hopefully Ben Simmons, who's going to come off of injury and hopefully look like the same guy that we saw in Philadelphia. You made some moves in re-signing Nick Claxton and Patty Mills. You grabbed TJ Warren, who's a savvy veteran. Joe Harris is going to come back from injury. You know, this is, it's not a championship-level roster, but it's still a pretty good roster considering everyone else who's out there uh, in the Eastern Conference and what they've been able to put together. So, I mean, the the trade request in itself, just looking at some of the teams that Durant put on his wish list, like the Heat and the Suns, and then other teams possibly coming in with packages, like uh, the Celtics or everyone's talking about the Raptors, possibly at the forefront, obviously they did it with Kawhi Leonard a few years ago. So it makes sense. They'd be, uh, in the na- in the ballpark for, uh, Kevin Durant. But what's funny is the team, everyone who's put out a trade request is basically not, they're either not matching what the nets are looking for, or they're unwilling, uh, to put in any kind of package. Uh, cause when you look at, you know, there's so many conditions it's, it's hard to go into like the financial or front office sort of thing of uh, these kind of trades. But, you know, Brooklyn doesn't want DeAndre and they want Devin Booker and Phoenix doesn't want to do that since he signed an extension. Uh, Miami can't have Bam out of bio, even though they probably want him because I, I think something about like the rookie extension, you can't have two guys uh, on that same thing. Um, And then, um, you have the Raptors who aren't willing to part with Scotty Barnes and Scotty Barnes has a bright future as of right now with the Toronto Raptors. So it makes sense on both sides, why uh, Brooklyn wants the overhaul and why teams are unwilling to do it because they look at the situation that James Harden was just in and saying, Oh, he could be signed to this kind of, long-term deal, you know, Kevin Durant, we have him for four years, but it could be, you know, he could request another trade tomorrow just like that. So it makes, it makes sense on both ends of the thing. Uh, it makes, it makes sense on both sides as to why they're looking for what they're looking for. And honestly, you know, I, I'm hearing reports, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to like Woj and Windhorse and Shams and all those guys, and they're saying there's a possibility that Brooklyn could start the year with Kevin Durant and with Kyrie Irving uh, on the roster. And it, it wouldn't surprise me, um, but I just think I think that's just going to be it's going to be a story to watch if that happens, because let's be honest, you know, if Kevin Durant, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the way the kind of person that Durant is, he's not going to have like a change of heart saying, OK, this this situation might actually be pretty good. Um, I don't expect him to have sort of that change of heart and saying, you know what, I want to stay in Brooklyn. I I want to stay and I want to be committed. Um, but you know, would Durant go to that sort of sabotage level, of basically just like sit out, you know, not get in shape. Um, I, I don't know, but I think, you know, it's only it's only a week into this trade request, and we've already got, you know, <laughs> there are sometimes days where there's no news at all on the Durant trade request, but someone's going to try and make a headline out of it saying, Oh, this team doesn't want to do that. This team doesn't want to do that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm expecting Durant to be trading. And I think the favorite would be the Raptors just because I think Brooklyn's going to have to settle um, just because I, I get why they're asking for the overhaul, but teams aren't looking for, uh, to give up that much, basically, to give up their future uh, for Durant, who might have, you know, maybe four or five good years left, maybe more than that. Not 100% sure. He's also a little bit injury prone, as he's had a couple of leg injuries um, in recent years. So, you know, to be non committal and to basically say, this is half of our front office and half of our roster, we'll take it for this one player. It seems a little crazy to me, but I think um, listening to reports and looking at packages that are out there, I would say that the Raptors are the favorite uh, to land Kevin Durant. But who knows? We're only a week into the summer and a week into uh, the free agency tampering period. So Kevin Durant could go anywhere and he could say anything or do anything. You know, it's definitely something to monitor. But let's actually talk about the moves that have been made already uh, in free agency. Obviously the the trade that happened, shifting a little bit of power, possibly Rudy Gobert, the Stifle tower on his way to Minnesota from Utah. And whew, what an overhaul that Minnesota gave up uh, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Walker Kessler, Leandro Balmero, and, four unprotected first round picks i actually think it's five i'm not 100 percent sure but talk about minnesota going all in on their roster i mean the starting lineup does look pretty good right now you got d russell d'angelo russell um anthony edwards carl anthony towns rudy gobert uh in that lineup i mean that's that's a good looking starting lineup right there and Initially, I was kind of confused on like, okay, why are you going to play two seven-foot centers in the same lineup? But you got to keep in mind that Towns and Gobert are two completely different players. So you can move uh, Towns to the power forward. You can let him be a stretch four. You know, you got a seven-foot guy that can shoot threes, get into the post. And meanwhile, Rudy Gobert is definitely your rim protecting center at five and can only really score in the paint. So it kind of makes sense you know, does it move the needle? Am I, and am I going to put Minnesota in the category of uh, title contenders? Probably not. I think they're right in the middle. You know, I could see them rather than going at the seventh seed, which is what they were last year and getting out of the play and probably to like a, a five or a six kind of basically where Utah is. I think them and Utah are probably just going to flip positions. Um, and uh, this, this is a team that's really good on offense. You know, they've got, They've got a good offense, but they were lacking on defense, and Gobert definitely helps that. I mean, when you have a player that's won multiple defensive player of the years, it makes sense uh, that you would want to get this guy. Uh, But it's going to be fascinating to see how Minnesota develops over time with having Towns and Gobert in the same lineup. You know, does does Carl Anthony Towns, you know, go back to his center ways, or does he really commit to being a stretch four? That'll be something to watch for. But I think Minnesota, you know, I like the deal. I don't love the deal. I just think they're right in the middle of the pack in that Western conference. That's what I think. And I think they're in the middle of the pack with the Clippers who I think uh, made some pretty good moves. I would say, you know, so far there haven't been a lot of big moves out there. I did say that this was going to be kind of like a quiet free agency in terms of like movement or whatever, but considering what the Clippers did, not only are they getting healthy, you know, they'll have a healthy Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for hopefully a full season. Then you re-sign Nick Batum, Amir Coffey, and then you bring in John Wall, uh, basically on a discount after getting bought out uh, by Houston, two years, 13 and dollars. And let's be honest, you know, again, This is not a Clippers team that I'm expecting to vault right into title contenders. You know, I still like the warriors who are still out there in the Western conference. I still like Phoenix. If they can get Deandre Aiden, Memphis is obviously going to come back a little bit hungry, but I think the Clippers again, mid pack is right where I should put them because John wall, you know, this is just a guy he's a good person, but just in terms of his play style, it's hard for, uh, guys to play with him because he's ball dominant. He uses his speed and athleticism. Um, a lot of isolation. He's not really an outside shooter. So it's not like, you know, when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George getting double teamed, you can just kick it out to John wall, uh, for an open three. You can't really do that because he's not really a good outside shooter, but I mean, on paper, if you can get John wall, who's basically been sitting out for about a year and a half, right now he'll definitely be healthy um hopefully he doesn't come down with any kind of injury um but to have him on that roster uh with reggie jackson as well um you have Zubots still as your center um i think i think the clippers team are going to be better than where they were you know getting into the in and then uh falling out of that race um from the pelicans but i i like I like the potential of John wall on that team, but just as long as he isn't, you know, so dominant in the kind of player that he is, if he can learn to be a complementary piece uh, for Leonard and George, I think then they're going to be a good team. It's just, it's a matter of how John wall is going to play. How is he going to play? So I think the Clippers, you know, in the short time of free agency, I think they're one of the winners who made some of the best moves out there. I also like Philly, what they did uh, in free agency. I mean, they still haven't signed James Harden, but all signs are going to point that he will be back um, for that team. But um, for the numbers that we're hearing, I mean, we're hearing that he's going to take less than the max extension. I mean – I think I talked about it last week, barely, but it's like he's finally seen the lights and said, you know, maybe my prime is behind me and I want to do whatever I can to try and get a ring. And, you know, I, I mentioned it when he was first traded to Brooklyn was that he had to make some kind of sacrifice in order for the Nets to be contenders. And he did that by limiting his scoring and being more of a passer. Now he's doing it from a financial side of things saying, Oh, if I sign this max deal, we're not going to have uh, the room to sign uh, PJ Tucker um, or uh, players like that. So I respect James Harden for, uh, for making that kind of commitment um, and saying, okay, I'm going to take less money so uh, we can win. But um, you know, you got some of his old teammates from Houston out there, Daniel house, PJ Tucker, I think this is, you know, when you have a guy like Joel Embiid who can be physically present down low and in the paint, I think you've got more toughness in P.J. Tucker, more toughness in Daniel House Jr. Um, and then you bring back James Harden, who hopefully is going to get a better sense of his role. And, you know, he's not going to be the 30-point-a-game scorer that everyone thought he could be. But you pair him with Maxi in the backcourt, I think Philly can turn things around. Now, am I going to say that they're a top team right now over the Celtics or the Bucks? No, but they are probably a top three contender for me right now with some of the moves that they have made. So I like the Clippers and the Sixers uh, for their kind of moves. And that's pretty much all there is because just the, new, the moves have been so quiet. But the good news is it's only a week into free agency. There's still tons of names out there on the market, and I can't wait to see what these rosters look like once training camp gets underway. Speaking with the NBA offseason, as I said, it's quiet because there's not a lot of player movement going on right now but we've got a lot of big name players who have re-signed for some big time money so i just want to dive into who's uh signed or re-signed these lucrative extensions uh and deals and figure out you know who's sort of in the best position and i think the first one you have to talk about is the the reigning two-time mvp the joker signing a supermax extension with the nuggets of five years and 264 million dollars i mean when you've won back-to-back MVPs, it makes sense why you would get this kind of money. Um, in terms of the situation that uh, Jokic is in, um, he's getting Michael Porter Jr. back. He's getting Jamal Murray back. He's still got Aaron Gordon on that roster. You know, this was this a team that was killed uh, with injuries last year. And then they just made the move uh, last week before free agency you got, uh, you gave up uh, Will Barton and Monte Morris. You bring back uh, KCP and Ish Smith. Uh, that's a little bit more scoring coming off of your bench, which I think is very, very uh, crucial. Now, I, I don't think Denver really makes a big move elsewhere because, I mean, you look at the past couple of seasons, um, they were in the Western Conference Finals in the bubble. Uh, then they went out in the second round, I want to say. Uh, And then last year they were a first round exit to to the eventual champs and uh, they just looked totally overmatched. But if you can find weapons outside of the Joker and uh, give them some, some weapons on offense, you know, I think then Denver is right back to where they are as contenders, you know, maybe they become a top five team once again, instead of faltering back uh, to number six. But as I said, you're getting healthy pieces back in Murray and Porter, hopefully. You bring uh, some, some key pieces. Um, And then in free agency, you know, some of the names include DeAndre Jordan as your backup center. Um, I think, I think Denver can get back to where they are, but in terms of the next five years or so, I don't, I don't know if Jokic is going to be that committed to the nuggets. If they just continue to be a middle of the pack uh, Western conference team, because let's be honest, the West is loaded. Um, and it is stacked, um, so it's gonna it's gonna make it's gonna take a monumental move by Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets to to really you know get get him an opportunity to sign that ring. There's still gonna be a playoff team, um, but in in terms of you know making a big time move, um, I I don't see it. I don't see it with Denver. And the same thing could be said for Bradley Beal. You know, re-signing with the Wizards. Five years 251 mil um I get the loyalty kind of thing for Bradley Beal and I get that the money is out there um if you're gonna take it I mean he's definitely gonna get less uh if he signed anywhere else but again the Wizards aren't really going anywhere they're the team they're the team that made the trade with the Nuggets and I I like Bradley Beal as a player he's a great number 2 option. He's just I don't know if he can be that leader or that number 1 guy because we have not seen it with the Wizards. I mean, you look at what happened um the past couple of years, they became an 8th seed and then they completely missed the playoffs. They didn't even make the play in. So, I can't tell you that the Wizards are because Bradley Beal signed this deal they're going straight to the top. I they haven't really made any moves uh, in this free agency period to help uh, Bradley deal. So I sort of get the commitment and the money side of things, you know, again, similar to Jokic and his deal, but he's not going anywhere. The wizards aren't going anywhere. And I don't think he can be that number one guy, you know, it's, it's the wizards. Again, they should have known when they signed John wall to that big deal, all of a sudden he gets hurt and now you're stuck with that contract and you were basically counting your stars that you were able to get him to the Houston Rockets and trade him you know you might be in the same exact scenario if Bradley Beal uh, and the Wizards don't go anywhere in the Eastern Conference because let's be honest the East is just getting better and better with all the teams you're seeing making moves Um, and the Wizards what have they done they've signed their guy they've signed the guy who they think is the closest thing uh, to a championship so I don't, I don't see the Wizards making a move either. I don't see them, you know, taking a big uh, step forward with this uh, signing of Bradley Beal. And the situation, I just think, is only going to get worse and worse for the Wizards if they don't, you know, get close to making the playoffs. Uh, but sticking to teams that made the playoffs, how about Zach Levine? I think everyone saw this coming. He stuck with the Bulls five years, 251, 215, I should say million dollars, and honestly he he earned it he earned it this is a guy who i believe is the prototypical example of improving year after year after year you know you had him in minnesota paired up with a wiggins and towns and then you give him you know he was a part of that jimmy butler trade now you give him an opportunity to grow as a number one guy in Chicago and look at what he's done. He's had the best years of his career and the bulls made the playoffs and people were actually talking about them for a long, long time because they were sitting on top of the Eastern conference for a little bit uh, until injuries just really killed them. And I think that was the big thing for Chicago was that they were just killed with injuries. I mean, Levine was hurt for a time. Obviously you didn't have Alonzo ball. You didn't have Caruso. um, But look at what the bulls have done. Uh, in this off season. Andre Drummond's your backup center. Um, you bring back uh, Derrick Jones, Jr. Bringing that athleticism. You know, I like what Chicago has done. And uh, I think they're going to be a really good team this year. And I think having Levine is so vital in that because you've basically got a two headed scoring monster. As I've said, uh, anytime we talk about the bulls on this podcast, you got DeRozan, Rosen, you got Levine. You've hopefully got Lonzo Ball, who's a great passer. Um, And then you bring on uh, all those guys that I just mentioned. I like Levine being committed to Chicago. And I think if Chicago does get back to contender status and possibly championship status, then this is the guy to do it. Zach Levine. So I think he has the best situation going on right now. And that's hard to say. With Devin Booker signing his extension too, four years, two hundred twenty-four million, and obviously Phoenix was in the finals um, a year ago. Um, but considering the the state that Phoenix is in, you know, there's still questions about DeAndre Ayton. Is he gonna resign? And um, you already you lost some names like uh, JaVale McGee. We're hearing about reports um, with the Brooklyn trade. You know, even if you don't give up Devin Booker, even if Booker isn't involved in a trade, you still might have some vital pieces for the future like Mikhail Bridges uh, and Cameron Johnson have to be included in that. Do you really want to take that chance? And I think for Phoenix, as I said, the West is just only getting better. The teams I just mentioned, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Clippers, um, just to name a few teams. You know, it's hard to say that Phoenix is going to stay on top of the mountaintop. Um, But if they are going to do it, it's got to be with Devin Booker. Um, So I think he's probably in the second best situation because Phoenix is still a contending team with him and Paul. But it it depends greatly on if the Suns can hold on to DeAndre Ayton. I think that's absolutely huge uh, for Phoenix development. Uh, and then we go into some players who signed their designated rookie extensions, and they got a ton of money. Let's start with John ja Morant, the most improved player. four years, two hundred twenty six mil. I mean, come on, after last year, it would be a shocker that he did not get a max extension. And the Grizzlies are a team that are on the rise. And you just give them a little bit of experience. You know, look at that series with Golden State. They kind of were maturing um as the season went on and when they got into that series they just had you know it was a team who had little experience to a team with a lot of experience in golden state and you just saw it play out and then obviously morant got hurt uh with that injury um but the the more time passes the more comfortable that Memphis is going to be and obviously john morant is basically the superstar on the rise you know he's going to be one of those names that dominates the game hopefully for the next 10 years of the league when you get LeBron who's going to retire Durant's going to retire Curry's going to retire you hope this new age you know includes Giannis, John Morant, uh, Booker just to name a few guys but you hope that John Morant is at the forefront just because his athleticism is out of this world absolutely out of this world so I'm very happy to see Morant get the kind of money that he's going to make and same thing with Darius Garland too. He was not, he was the part of a rising Cleveland team. And now Cleveland um, is, is finally being taken seriously again and they don't need LeBron James to do that. So Darius Garland, again, is at the forefront of uh, this rise for the Cavs. So it makes sense why he's getting five years and possible incentives that total up to, $231 million. But the one name that I think has everyone scratching their heads in this kind of deal is Zion. Zion Williamson, five years, uh, again, basically the same contract as Darius Garland, five years. uh, Total is just under 200 million guaranteed. The incentives could go up to 231. It's interesting why New Orleans decided to give him this kind of deal considering all the injury problems that he had, you know, he missed, I, I think he's, he's missed more games than he's played in. And obviously last year he had the, the broken foot. Um, he couldn't play. And then the videos came out. Oh, he seems fine, but new Orleans isn't going to clear him. stuff like that. You know, it, it does show me what new Orleans is going for in their future with a big three of CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram and Zion. But this contract is all based on potential for Zion. If he can stay healthy, what kind of guy are you getting? You're getting a freak athlete, um, and you've got a great future in New Orleans. So that's what this is all going on uh, for New Orleans. And obviously, I think they might be out of the running now for Kevin Durant, possibly, um, unless you put Brandon Ingram possibly in there. Um, but I think this just shows me for, for new Orleans that they are committed to Zion. You know, they think that they have mended fences and you, you heard it in the press, uh, conference for Zion. Cause it was actually his birthday, his 22nd birthday. And he said, he wants to bring a championship to new Orleans. Um, he's committed to being with the Pelicans organization. So it kind of makes sense why he's saying all that stuff. But again, it's all potential can he stay healthy can he stay on the court because you gotta remember this pelicans team minus zion gave phoenix some fits in that first round and they took them all the way to six games i think this is a team where if you've got everyone on the same page if you've got the exact same team uh that you put out there along with a healthy zion who has that potential that everyone hypes him up to be then this is a team that can make some noise in a in a rising western conference but with all the money being shelled out uh by these teams for these superstar players which one's going to benefit the best only time will tell There is so much more we got to get into. So let's go to our usual segment around this time of the show. It is time for Quick Hits. And we start with the big trade in the NFL that happened just yesterday. Baker Mayfield is finally gone from Cleveland, traded from the Browns to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional fifth round pick and let me first start by saying holly for louia that baker is finally gone from that rat hole situation that is the cleveland browns that means the browns are probably going to be going with jacoby Brissett to start the season i mean come on and considering you know i said it from the minute um deshaun watson was traded to cleveland and signed that big deal Baker Mayfield has been the most disrespected athlete in recent history. You know, considering the way that Cleveland publicly trashed him and basically said, we need toughness. We need a guy who's not named Baker Mayfield. Baker finally took a swing back, and finally he's gone. And Cleveland figured out that, oh, we're not going to get a massive haul for a guy that we publicly ripped for not being our guy. I mean, that... That's just Cleveland shooting themselves in the foot. So I can't wait to see the Browns falter when Deshaun Watson gets suspended. But let's talk about the team that Baker's on right now. Carolina Panthers. You got him. You got Sam Darnold. You got Matt Corral. Why are you having three guys that you think could be your quarterbacks? Are you just opening up all options out there saying, you know, let's just throw a dart at one of these three and they're going to be the ones? But... Um, Reports from Adam Schefter of ESPN is saying that there's going to be a competition between Baker Mayfield and uh, Sam Darnold. Why is there a need to be a competition? You saw what Baker Mayfield could do when he's healthy, okay? Last year, he was hurt basically from top to bottom. Basically, all 206 of his bones were broken. I mean, he had a bad shoulder, he had a bad knee, and him uh, being shaken up, is still better than a healthy Sam Darnold. Look at what Sam Darnold did for the Panthers last year. It got so bad to the point you brought Cam Newton back. Okay? Panthers, this doesn't have to be a competition. Baker Mayfield is your quarterback. All right? We've seen, when healthy, he can take a team to the playoffs. He's been the best Browns quarterback for the last 20 years because he actually won a playoff game. So, I don't know what Carolina is thinking, you know, it was, it was obvious it was either them or Seattle as a destination for Baker Mayfield. But in terms of what you're going to do now that he's on your roster, just give him the damn start, OK? You don't need a competition. Baker has shown in his first couple of years that he is a capable starting cornerback. Over to tennis now with the Wimbledon, and the men's draw has been just as exciting uh, recently, in the quarters, you had Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal, both rallied from two sets down to advance. But you know, for Nadal, it was uh, worst-case scenario as he had to uh, withdraw from his semi-matchup against Nick Kyrgios. Uh, he suffered an abdominal injury, abdominal injury, I should say, uh, and he's not going to play in his semifinal matchup. Uh, which is just sad because Nadal, uh, watching that matchup uh, in the quarters, just the way he was able to rally, I mean, you could tell that he was hurt and he gave it his all. And considering the implications too, I mean, we were looking at possibly a calendar grand slam uh, out there if he won this. And then the U.S. Open that Djokovic isn't going to play. So it's it's just sad. And Nadal, it just looked like in the second half of his career, had like a second wind essentially like all the pain uh was gone you know he was he was dominating or I shouldn't say dominating but he was succeeding on uh grass which he's is arguably his worst surface to play on so I I'll say it again that it's just sad that uh Nadal has to uh withdraw from the semis but that just opens the door for joke to possibly catch Rafa Nadal in terms of career majors but I mean, Djokovic did the exact same thing, rallying from two sets down, coming back. Nick Kyrgios, regardless of who he's going to play, is going to have his hands full in the men's final for Wimbledon. Shifting to basketball, will we go to the women's side, and I want to highlight Sabrina Ionescu because she's already becoming a household name in the WA, former number one overall pick last night, or a few nights ago, I should say, Put in a 31 point triple double. You know how many players in WNBA history have had 30 point triple doubles? None. You know who's the career leader now in triple doubles? Candace Parker and Sabrina Ionescu. I mean, granted, it's only like two or three triple doubles, but still, I mean, Candace Parker is one of the top players in women's history who's still playing right now. And you got to keep in mind, Ionescu is making these moves, and it's only her third season with the New York Liberty, okay? She's only three years into her WNBA career, and she's already putting up ridiculous numbers right now, okay? Everyone, I mean, the hype when she was at Oregon was completely justified. I mean, she had the NCAA record for triple doubles. I think the number was like 26. she was at oregon i think the only thing that certifies her right now into being a hall of famer is getting a championship and it's hard to say that the liberty are gonna do it because there's a bunch of great teams out there the aces have been uh dominant uh with asia wilson so far in the season you've got seattle obviously out there the reigning champs chicago the chicago sky with the aforementioned candace parker so you know it I can't say that INSU is getting a ring right away, but the path that she's on right now, now being tied with most career triple doubles, she's on her way to being a Hall of Famer. And she's only in the middle of her third season. <laughs> to baseball, we gotta go back to showtime. Shohei Otani is on a phenomenal roll right now for the angels you want to listen to this number because this was absolutely crazy when i read it shohei otani has not allowed an earned run in 28 and two-thirds innings in his last four starts that means his last four starts zero earned runs okay this is a little over three full games that he has not allowed an earned run this dude is amazing absolutely amazing you can see, you know, similar to what I just mentioned with Ionescu, the hype is justified for Shohei Otani. But here's the problem. It's not just Shohei Otani on the LA Angels right now. Because if it was a 25 rost 25 man roster of all Shohei's, then this team would be the best in baseball right now. But they've lost four of their last five games. They're 38 and 45. I mean the good news is, is that they're winning when Shohei starts. So far, they're 4-0 in these last four starts that Otani has pitched. But they can't win with anyone else on the mound right now. So that's the problem that the Angels face. And it's just, it's sad that you've got players like Otani and Mike Trout on your roster, but you can't even sniff the playoffs right now. You had a good month, and then you lost 14 straight. And now you're on the outside looking in of the wild card. Good luck, Czech. Uh, chasing down the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, the Guardians, good luck chasing them down. But I mean, let's just appreciate what we've got in Shohei Tiny because this is a once in a generational talent in the MLB. And lastly, I want to go to hockey and sort of end this on a positive note because there's some good kind of history being made in hockey with the first black general manager in the NHL. It's former player Mike Greer becoming the new general manager of the San Jose Sharks. And that is just a feel-good right there. We're starting to see barriers uh, just continue to be broken down uh, in in the sports world. If, if there's anything that can instill change, because let's be honest, nothing can really uh, set us forward instead of setting us back. Um, it's sports that are really doing it. You've got... Um, you've got uh, women and African-Americans, uh, black people who are finally getting their opportunity. You got Greer becoming a general manager. Women are finally at the forefront uh, rather than just in the back backseat. Um, but on a, a talent perspective for Mike Greer, I think he, he's a guy that can turn around the San Jose Sharks. Of course, he played with the Sharks. Um, So he knows exactly what uh, the team is looking for, what the fan base is sort of expecting from that. And maybe he can turn things around because it's been a while since we've seen the Sharks uh, in the playoffs and really be uh, strong contenders. So is Greer the guy? Only time will tell. But I'm very happy that Mike Greer is getting the opportunity to be this general manager and to put his name in the history books of the NHL. And that is a wrap of this week's edition of Quick Hits. Moving on, it is time for our usual segment, our let's get local as we've got Two teams we're going to be talking about, but before we go deep into them, let's talk about the newest hire for the Boston Bruins. Jim Montgomery was signed, uh, or was chosen, I should say, by Don Sweeney and Cam Neely to be the new head coach replacing Bruce Cassidy. Now, I didn't know a lot about Montgomery uh, when he was first hired, so I got to read up a little bit on him. And um, obviously, he had the head coaching gig with the Dallas Stars, recently was an assistant with the St. Louis blues. But what was interesting was that um, obviously for the, for those that don't know was that he entered a rehab facility for uh, alcohol addiction, which was why uh, he was fired from uh, his gig with the Dallas stars. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like the story sort of this sort of comeback kind of thing of, Oh, I've uh, I've come back a better person. And, you know, if he wants to be upfront about his situation, you know, I'm going to respect whatever he wants to do with um, sort of addressing uh, this kind of thing. Um, but in terms of the hire, you know, I, I just think some kind of change was, was expected. I mean, you're seeing it with uh, Jake DeBrus for sending his trade request with possible um, reports of David Krejci, maybe returning to the Bruins you know it just says that you know that a head coaching change was needed it was something about uh Bruce Cassidy um so I think the Bruins is is something is something to watch for over the summer now that you've got a new guy at head coach and maybe you know that makes Bergeron excited that he wants to re-sign uh with the Bruins and obviously the team is going to be missing a lot of people to start the year with uh McAvoy, Grislyk, um Marshand, obviously, uh with injuries, but I'm very curious to uh see what Jim Montgomery does with the kind of roster that he has because he did turn around the Dallas Stars uh when he was first hired. They missed the playoffs and then boom, they're right back into the playoffs. Um, so we'll see. We will see what happens uh with the newest head coach for the Boston Bruins. But let's get from off the ice to on the field and talk about the Red Sox. And they continue to show why it's so hard to buy in when things are going so well. You remember back in may in the first part of June, you know, this team was rolling, absolutely rolling. They had a 20 and six record uh, in the month of June, but it was that last series in that month that made them tumble right back to where they were uh, in April and in may. And that is three and six in the last nine games. Now, I will say there's a lot of things to attribute it to. Um, I think part of it is injuries. Obviously, Michael Walker is dealing with a dead arm. Rich Hill said he felt something pop in his last start, uh, I believe, against the Cubs. Um, Nathan Eovaldi still isn't close to rehabbing. Uh, Garrett Whitlock's still out there. Chris Sale might be uh, rejoining the team, so that could help a little bit. But I mean, injuries have been killing the pitching staff right now. I mean, really, your best starter out there is Nick Pavetta. Thank goodness he hasn't been hurt, uh, knock on wood, uh, really quickly. Um, But you're just seeing guys from AAA who are young and inexperienced, like Brian Bayo, who made his MLB debut. You know, he was a highly touted prospect, but he probably wouldn't have made a start if uh, Rich Hill wasn't hurt or if Michael Walker wasn't hurt. Now, Bayo wasn't great. But there's no need to panic because we have seen uh, guys come up from Worcester, from AAA, and after that first start have sort of settled down. Big name, Josh Winkowski. Another name, Connor Siebel. Those guys settled down after their first start. They didn't look fantastic. But when they got more comfortable with being a major league starting pitcher, um, he started to get more comfortable. So I still have hope for Bayo. I think the comparison to Pedro Martinez is a little crazy right now. I mean, you could see, you could see the potential in the start last night against the Rays. He had a good fastball that was at 98. He had a sinker uh, that was moving a little bit, but he's got to develop uh, some more pitches and get them going on a consistent basis. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to hold out faith um, for Bayo. You know, maybe he becomes a bullpen guy at the end of the year if he starts to really settle in, but Let's get back to why this team is struggling the way they are. I think the lineup is back to their early season problems. I mean, in the last nine games, as I said, they're three and six and they've only scored more than six runs one time. Okay. And that wasn't a victory. They had to come back in that one. I think the extra inning game in Toronto, and then they've scored, I think five runs twice. And then other than that, it's just been less than that. So the middle of the lineup, Their power is gone. And part of it, you know, I will say part of it was Rafi Devers sat out most of the uh, race series dealing with uh, some back soreness. But Bogarts isn't really showing consistent power. J.D. Martinez doesn't have as consistent power. Trevor Story continues to be an inconsistent part of the lineup. And meanwhile, you've got guys um, like Cordero and Dahlbeck uh, and Arroyo who, when, you know, they benefit. Off of these power hitters. So they're not getting on base. Uh, and the Sox just continue to leave runners in scoring position when they do get on base. So the lineup just continues to absolutely kill him. I mean, the only bright spot at the moment, right now, is Jaron Duran. You know, you might have found your leadoff guy for the future, and all because he's subbing in for Kike. Um, the way he's been able to hit the ball and, um, You know, be a huge factor on the bases. His base running and his speed have been uh, tremendous to see for the Sox. But that's really the only bright spot you have in this lineup. You're not getting any consistent power uh, from your big bats, and um, if that doesn't change, you're gonna go right back to the bottom of the heap where you were uh, in in April and in May, and that is multiple games under 500. But you had a good month of June. So you got to really uh, hope that you can just at least play 500 baseball uh, with the lineup that you have. But you can't play 500 baseball with the bullpen that you have because let's be honest. I think that the Sox have the best collection of, I th- the best collection of starters. I think they have one of the better starting rotations uh, in the MLB. But the problem is once you're done with uh, the starters, you got to go to the bullpen. And once again, you know, I said this basically before the beginning of last season was that the bullpen is the biggest glaring issue. And of course, the conversation, you know, not just for me, but all around Boston and WEEI is that Heim Bloom sees this and is not doing anything about it. You know, he was basically, he went into this year on potential, potential that Matt Barnes can turn it around that Jake Diekman can be um, a middle-inning guy, a high-leverage guy, that Sawamura can turn things around. First off, Sawamura is done. If you give up four walks in a three-out, in a one-inning uh, outing, you're done. You shouldn't even be a part of this roster, okay? Matt Barnes is still hurt. Diekman, you can't put him in anything. Dana, she can't put him in anything. There's really, There's only four names right now in terms of relievers, that are like committed to the bullpen that I trust right now. And that is Schreiber, Hauk, Austin Davis, and Matt Strom. I'll even throw Whitlock in there because he's going to get back into the bullpen once he's back from injury, but it continues to be a glaring issue. I mean, this bloom is a guy who got Hansa Robles at the deadline. Where is Robles right now? He just got designated for assignment. Okay. That's the big reliever you're going to get in free agency. Come on, Haim Bloom. I mean, you've made some great moves. You know, picking up TK Hernandez, making a bunch of trades to get Nick Pavetta um, and um, just just a couple of names to to, um, name a few. Getting Ref Snyder on a minor league deal um, and building the farm system. He's done a good job of that. But how about the immediate issue of right here and now? He hasn't done anything about it. And that's what's frustrating is that This is a team that can be good, but the front office is doing nothing about it. So I look at Heim Bloom, and I look at the deadline, and I say, if you don't make a move to get a big-time reliever, then you've got fans of the Red Sox coming at your throat. And you're going to see how far behind you are when you've got the Yankees coming into town. And not only that, but you're playing the Yankees Twice in the next three series before you go into the all star break. Uh, right in the middle is a series in Tampa at Tropicana, uh, against the Rays. So, hopefully, this series with New York is uh, an eye opener for Hein Bloom saying, Home, oh, maybe this team is good. We just need a few pieces here and there because he's going on potential, he's going on these players turning things around but reality is finally setting in that they will not turn things around and they're just going to continue to stink. You know, you've got your guys in the bullpen. Those guys I just mentioned, those are your core, That's your foundation, but where's everyone else? Where is everyone else? I don't know. So he's not going all in, but there is one guy that is going all in, in the city of Boston. That is Brad Stevens. He has made quite some moves. Um, In his only his second offseason, I mean, let's just I'll um, I'll build up um, what Brad Stevens has done since he became uh, president of basketball operations. Basically took over for Danny H brought back Al Horford. He uh, brought in Derek White in a trade. He brought back Daniel Tice in a trade. He signs Danilo Gallinari, and he trades for Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, talk about Brad Stevens not being afraid to go after the big fish. I mean, let's start with Gallinari signing a two-year deal. I think it's it's a great need move because you need scoring off the bench, and Gallo is a scorer. I mean, he's got some size. He's a shot maker. He's a playmaker in terms of he can – Give you those catch and shoots when you've got Tatum and Brown being double teamed. Um, and he's a he's a shooter. He's a shooter, and you needed scoring off the bench. And he is your guy. He's gonna be your guy um, for uh the second unit for sure. But let's talk about that trade. Malcolm Brogdon from the Indiana Pacers. The package has Tice, Nismith, Fitz, Stauskas, Morgan, and a 2023 first rounder. That's it? To get Malcolm Brogdon? I I was very surprised at the amount or lack thereof that it took to get Malcolm Brogdon. And what kind of player is Brogdon? He's a two-way playmaker that can hit open shots. I mean, let's, let's just put it at it like that. He's a playmaker. What did you need? Playmaking. The most glaring issue when you were in the NBA Finals against the Warriors was you didn't have a point guard. That could play me, you know, with no disrespect to Marcus Smart or Derek White. You know, they just couldn't hit shots. Um, and they weren't the facilitator that everyone was expecting them to be. Um, and Brogdon is that guy. Now, the questions are about his health. You know, he's got to stay healthy in order to have these kind of uh, performances. And if Brogdon doesn't stay healthy, then you're you're kind of screwed but you're going on potential that he is healthy because when he is healthy, he's a great player, a great player. um, That I think is going to, I think for right now, after that trade, the Celtics have to be the favorites in the East, at least top two with them in Milwaukee. I think those are the two teams right now. Um, And after this trade, you know, everyone's saying, Oh, where does that leave Marcus smart? Where does that leave Derek white or Peyton Pritchard? I think, All of them can play together. I think um, Smart, he's not, you know, everyone's saying he's not a true point guard, and that's true. But if you're talking like late in games, you know, you can have Brogdon as your point guard, and then you could put Marcus Smart as your two guard. You know, I I think that's the case um, that Ime Odoka could do with this roster. I I really do think so. I think these two can play together um, because I said it last week. You don't trade Marcus Smart because you can't replace that kind of physicality and defense for a reigning defensive player of the year. I know he struggles um, offensively from time to time. He's still a little bit inconsistent, but you would rather have Smart on your roster than off your roster. So great moves by Brad Stevens. I do think there is one more move to be made. Um, Obviously, you still have the 17 million uh, TPE out there right now so that's up until july 17th so there's still 10 days to make that move but there are still some names out there on the market um, that i think um the celtics can do because i still think they need a big man backing up uh robert williams and one name i looked at uh really quickly was dwight howard i know he's a guy that's kind of ring chasing right now he'd be on veteran minimum deals um And he's basically the same guy as Robert Williams. He can give you some scoring on some alley-oops. He's a good defender. Um, So I I think Dwight Howard could be a guy that the Celtics look at uh, for a backup uh, to Robert Williams. You know, that's just a name that's out there. Um, Not 100% sure who else um, is out there uh, in terms of centers that uh, can back up Robert Williams. Because basically, you're kind of looking for a guy that could be your starter. Uh, if Williams continues to have his injury problems. And the first name that just popped into my head was Dwight Howard. So that might be a name out there. You know, maybe, you know, I I think things are going to pick up once Summer League gets underway because then all the executives are going to be basically in one spot and they're going to have a lot more communications. Um, And then obviously free agents uh, are going to really make their decision the closer the season gets on. But I'm very excited for what the Celtics have done And I'm very excited for the Red Sox as we hit the summer months, as we get into July, hopefully they can turn things around and Boston can get that much closer to getting another trophy. as we always do we look at our lol moment of the week and we are going back to the holiday to the 4th of July for a time honored tradition and honestly it, it it's a still a serious um story it's obviously a big accomplishment that happened on the 4th of July but it's still just kind of funny to sort of treat it like a, another sport i guess out there uh so this week's lol moment of the week goes to Joey Chestnut, the greatest competitive eater, I guess, in the entire world. So what does he do on the 4th of July? He goes out on crutches on a broken foot and gets his 15th career Nathan's hot dog eating contest victory by downing 63 hot dogs. But I think the LOL moment is when the protester uh, comes out. Um, he basically sort of nudges his way right in front of Joey chestnut. And while he's eating chestnut puts him in a headlock and basically throws him to the ground all while he's eating. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious to me. Um, and obviously you didn't see it on TV as it happened, but it's all going around there on Twitter. Um, seeing this guy or this kid basically is a 21 year old. They, they released he's in a Vader mask and he, had a sign or something like that. I'm not sure exactly, you know, what it was he was protesting, but Chestnut while he's downing these dogs basically turns and it's like, get out of here. And he just goes right back to eating and he still put in a huge uh, margin of victory. I, I don't know. The next guy probably had like 40 or something like that. Uh, I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think this might be Chestnut's best performance ever In the hot dog eating contest, because not only did you down 63 dogs, which granted is nowhere close to his record of like 74, um, but he was on crutches. He uh, dealt with a protester and then he just went right back to it. So, I mean, props to Chestnut, but I think the LOL moment itself is when the protester came out. Chestnut basically shoves him aside and gets right back um, to dominating the competition but it's it's still fascinating how people like the kind of energy that they have for uh competitive eating like on the fourth of july you know i remember putting out a poll a couple of years ago asking if people like enjoy it because you've got one side of the fence where we're like oh this is great this is entertaining and the other half where we're like that is nasty because i mean The strategy is to uh, separate the dogs from the buns and you're putting the buns in the water and you're kind of shoving them in. So the way it looks is just like completely nasty and it makes you want to throw up. Um, So, you know, (laughs) I'm still like right in the middle of like, yeah, it's entertaining, but it's also kind of disgusting as well to watch on TV. Um, So Joey Chestnut for once again, dominating the Nathan's hot dog eating contest in a unique way, which included getting rid of a protester while you were downing your dogs you've earned yourself into this week's lol moment of the week So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you're getting this podcast, listening on Spotify or Apple, or watching us on YouTube. Make sure, as always, you're following our other pages on social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point, you got to get across. Just let the whole world know, shut up and let me speak.